Hello everyone, and welcome to JTalk Extra Time. I'm James Taylor, and in part one of this episode, I'll be reviewing six of the games from J2 Match Day 27. In part two, John Steele has the other five games, and in part three, it's the two Johnnies, John chatting to Johnny Nickel. Then to round off the episode, Mike Innes is your guide for another entertaining round of J3 fixtures in JTalk Short Corner. Let's get stuck in then, and there was a shock at the top of the table. Leaders Machida Zelvia lost 3-1 at home to Jeff United. The visitors took the lead in the 10th minute, Daisuke Suzuki getting in front of the defender to redirect a long-range free kick. It was 2-0 in the 28th minute as Jurato Ikeda blocked a cross with his arm to concede a penalty, which Hiro Komori scored to notch his 10th goal of a very impressive rookie season. Mitchell Duke hit the post for Machida in the 53rd minute, but he did hit the target in the 72nd minute, stooping to head in a cross from the right. Jeff were undeterred and Tomoya Miki restored the two-goal lead immediately, an attack that started from the restart and ended with Miki's 25-yard effort squirming under William Pop. Another good performance and result against high-powered opposition from Jeff, who have three wins and a draw in their last five and sit in 12th. Machida are six points clear at the top with a game in hand, breathing a sigh of relief that several of the teams chasing them spurned the opportunity to make up ground. One of those teams was Shimizu Espos, who were held to a 1-1 draw away to lowly Tochigi SC. The league's leading scorers went ahead with half an hour played when a short corner was then swung into the box and headed into the ground and over the keeper by Yoshinori Suzuki. Despite their league position, Tochigi are a stubborn opponent and they drew level in the 67th minute. Yuto Yamada finding space to meet Hayato Kurasaki's cross and beat Shuichi Gonda with a header. New signings Ryotaro Ishida and Ismaila came off the bench for Tochigi, but this game ended even. Tochigi move up a place to 19th, but are still level with Kanazawa in 21st. They are on a run of three straight draws, but only one loss in their last eight. Shimizu stays sixth, two points behind Oita, and a point ahead of Nagasaki, who were thumped 5-1 at Monterio Yamagata. Things started badly for Nagasaki as Taiki Kato opened the scoring for Yamagata in just the fourth minute with a shot from the edge of the D after Nagasaki gave the ball away in their own half. It was 2-0 in the 23rd minute thanks again to Kato, whose back header from 12 yards looped over Go Hatano in the Nagasaki goal. The away team almost pulled one back on the counter-attack in the 34th minute, but Juan Delgado's effort hit the crossbar. Yamagata got their third three minutes into the second half. A free kick from the left headed into his own goal under very little pressure by Keita Nakamura. The fourth came just after the hour mark, a counter-attack that started in their own area and was finished by Shintaro Kokobu's left-footed shot across Hatano. Nagasaki did get on the scoreboard in the 78th minute with Serin Saryu Joppu's second goal in as many games, this one a powerful header, but Yamagata added a fifth in stoppage time through Ayumu Kawai's turn and shot into the top corner. A bad day at the office for Nagasaki, who have one win in their last five, and have conceded 12 goals in that run. Yamagata are 11th and end a run of three straight defeats. One team that didn't miss out on the chance to make up ground on the league leaders was Vanfare Kofu, who came away from the Narua Otsuka Sports Park Pokari Sweat Stadium in Tokushima with all three points, thanks to a brace from Motoki Hasegawa. This one was goalless at halftime, but both teams had chances. Peter Utaka twice went close for Kofu, while Tokushima's Akito Tanahashi had a close-range header saved brilliantly by Kohei Kawata just before the break. The first goal came in the 59th minute, a counter-attack by Kofu and a Hasegawa shot from just outside the area. Fortis had an immediate opportunity to equalise, but Tanahashi headed off target from in close. Hasegawa's second goal came in the 80th minute from the penalty spot, as he got in front of a defender and was brought down clumsily. 
Tanahashi did pull one back for Tokushima in the third minute of stoppage time, smashing in a loose ball from six yards, but it ended 2-1 to Kofu. Their fourth, two points off the automatic promotion places. Tokushima sink to 20th, safe only on goal difference. Two of the league's lowest scoring teams met on Saturday evening and provided some late drama as Blaublitz Akita beat Renault for Yamaguchi 2-1. Akita had a glorious chance to score in the 77th minute, but Shota Aoki somehow put his free header over from just a few yards out. Akita did score in the 83rd minute, with Yuji Saito header from a corner, the first goal Yamaguchi had conceded in six games. Georgi Ikegami equalised in the 86th minute with a superb free kick. But in the 90th minute, Shion Niwa's near-post header gave Akita the win and condemned Yamanaguchi to their first loss in six games and sees them drop to 18th, three points clear of relegation. And finally from me, there was an entertaining game between Fujieda Mai FC, the league's worst defence, and Zuegen Kanazawa, the league's fourth worst defence. This had all the hallmarks of a typical Kanazawa performance. Awful defending from Ryota Inoue and Yuto Nagamine gifting Fujieda a chance out of nothing in the opening minutes? Check. Said defenders being bailed out by an excellent save from Yuto Shirai? Check. Unmarked Fujieda player, in this case Kotaro Yamahara, scoring from the subsequent corner in the fifth minute? Check. Kanazawa creating chances but getting no luck? Check. Yohei Toyoda hit the bar, Ryuhei Oishi and Junya Kato hit the post in the first half. Fujieda looking dangerous on the counter-attack as Kanazawa pushed forward? Check. But, with two minutes of regulation time left to play, Kanazawa finally made the pressure count as substitute Kazuya Onohara headed in a corner to grab a vital point for the visitors. Fujieda are 10th, but will have to finish the season without their top scorer, Ryo Watanabe, who's moved to J1 side Cerezo Osaka on a full transfer. Kanazawa stay 21st, still level on points with Tochigi in 19th, and now also Tokushima in 20th. That's all from me. Next, John has the rest of the games for you. Thanks James. Hi everyone, John Steele here to round up the rest of last weekend's J2 action. Let's start at the Yurtek Stadium where a thrilling match finished Sendai 3, Tokyo Verdi 4. Tokyo Verdi stay 3rd, level on points with 2nd placed Iwata after this very exciting uh, clash. New Verdi signing Hikaru Nakahara? on loan from Seretsu Osaka, made a great start to life in the green half of Tokyo by giving the away side the lead in the 6th minute. Kosuke Saito's shot was spilled by the Sendai goalkeeper Akihiro Hayashi straight to Nakahara for a tap-in inside the 6-yard box. So Verdi had the lead early on, but it was 1-1 midway through the first half, with Ho Yong Jun glancing in a right-wing cross from a new signing at Sendai, Loni Kai Matsuzaki, Verdi were back in front thanks to an own goal from Masahiro Sugata in the 33rd minute when a corner from Koki Morita was flicked on at the near post and deflected off Sugata into the net. And just before half-time, it was 3-1 to the visitors, Nakahara pouncing on a loose ball on the edge of the Sendai box and then playing in Yuji Kitajima to slide a low shot past Hayashi and into the bottom corner. Sendai were desperate to reduce the deficit before half-time and a good effort from the edge of the box came back off the top of the crossbar. But Ho scored his second goal to make it 3-2 just before the interval, volleying in at close range after Ryo Makida had headed the ball up into the air inside the Verdi penalty area. Sendai just couldn't keep Verdi out though and it became 4-2 right at the start of the second half. A low cross from Nakahara, second assist of the game for him, found Ren Kato arriving at speed to bundle the ball past Hayashi at the near post from about uh, yeah six yards. So uh, yeah, Tokyo Verdi 4-2 up right at the start of the second half. 
Sendai did pull another goal back from the penalty spot with 19 minutes to go. Kida was brought down by Kazuya Miyahara as he burst into the box and Kida himself scored the penalty. But that's how the game finished. Sendai 3, Tokyo Verdi 4. Sendai a 15th without a win in their last 8 games and only 4 points clear of the relegation zone. So as mentioned last week, no, uh, no new manager bounce for them under Takafumi Hori. At the Resonac Dome, it finished Oita 1, Iwaki 2. Oita stay in 5th place in the table, but lost for the 3rd time in 4 matches, while Iwaki continue their recent revival. Iwaki had a lucky escape when their defender Ryo Endo slid in to stop Arata Watanabe from having a shot on goal. Endo's clearance just about went past the post for an Oita corner, but it uh, yeah, could have ended up in the back of the net quite easily. Iwaki then stunned their hosts by taking the lead right at the end of the first half when an Iwaki free kick was cleared to the edge of the Oita box and the ball was lofted back uh, to the far post. Ryo Arita headed a cross goal for Daiki Yamaguchi to head in from about six yards. So Iwaki went into the break 1-0 ahead and things got even better for the visitors just before the hour as they doubled their lead. A low cross from the right from Naoki Kase somehow made it all the way through to the edge of Oita's six-yard box for Hiroto Iwabuchi to sweep in and make it 2-0. Oita then made the closing stages exciting by pulling a goal back in the 84th minute. A towering flick-on from centre-back Tomoya Ando sent the ball into the Iwaki penalty area and Yusuke Matsuo was able to get to the ball just ahead of the Iwaki goalkeeper Shikano and poke it in to make it Oita 1, Iwaki 2. Before full-time, Ando went close himself to making it 2-2 with a header and Arita at the other end forced a flying save from Oita's keeper Konosuke Nishikawa but it finished Oita 1, Iwaki 2. So disappointment for Oita, but Iwaki uh, in 17th place, three points clear of the drop zone, which isn't great, but seven games unbeaten. Uh, they seem to be uh, getting some momentum just at the right time. At Kei's Denki Stadium, it finished Mito nil, Omiya nil. So Omiya stay nine points adrift at the bottom of the table, and I think they'll be kicking themselves that they didn't take all three points from this game. Mito's best chance came at the start of the second half when Kaito Umeda headed against the outside of the post. And then Omiya's new striker, Jakub Suetsok, came on for the last 20 minutes and he had two good chances to score. First, he lashed an effort against the outside of the post from just inside the penalty area. And then right at the death, he chested down a long ball into the box and beat the goalkeeper from about six yards, only for a combination of two Mito defenders to keep the ball uh, from crossing the line. So Mito nil, Omiya nil was the full-time score. Mito stay 16th. Three points clear of the drop zone on 31. That's uh, their level with Iwaki and Yamaguchi on 31 points. In the rare Monday night game, Okayama won for the first time in four matches thanks to a superb 90-second minute goal from Tomoya Fukumoto, his first ever in the J-League. Uh, the match finished Kumamoto 1, Okayama 2. The away side made a bright start and Solomon Sakuragawa actually swept them in front from close range in just the second minute. However, this goal was disallowed uh, for a very tight offside call, so it was still nil-nil. But Okayama did go ahead right after the drinks break in the 25th minute. Good work down the left allowed Kodai Sano to feed Yudai Tanaka on the edge of the Kumamoto box. A lovely first touch kind of heel drag from Tanaka evaded a lunging tackle from Yuhi Takemoto and then he toe poked past Ryuga Tashiro in the Kumamoto goal to make it 1-0 to Okayama. Four minutes before half-time, Takamoto made amends when he pulled Kumamoto level, collecting a pass from Takia Shimamura and then firing low into the bottom corner from just inside the penalty area. 
In the second half, Sakuragawa thought he'd restored Okiyama's lead with a powerful header from a corner, but again, the goal was disallowed uh, for a foul, I think, uh, during, the, during the play. It looked like a harsh decision for me, but uh, yeah, the goal was, uh, was chalked off. The game seemed to be heading for a 1-1 draw until Fukumoto's stunning intervention in stoppage time. He cut inside from the Okayama right and then curled a brilliant effort right under the crossbar and into the top corner uh, from the kind of angle of the penalty area. Absolutely brilliant goal uh, and a, a worthy winner for Okayama. So Kumamoto 1, Okayama 2 was the full-time score. Kumamoto in 14th place uh, without a win in 6, whereas Okayama a 9th and 5 points adrift of their playoff places. A pair of absolutely brilliant goals lit up the game at Shoda Stadium, where it finished Gunma 1, Iwata 1. In the 12th minute, Gunma went in front thanks to Motoki Nagakura. He chested down Ryo Sato's high ball on the edge of the Iwata box, and then swept a delicious half-volley past Ryuki Mura to make it 1-0 to the home side. Absolutely a brilliant goal. Iwata had a great chance to level shortly after that, but Ko Matsubara side-footed his volley wide of the post at point-blank range. After that, gunma keeper Masatoshi Kushibiki was hard at work as usual, preserving his side's lead. He made a great close-range stop from a Makito Ito header, and then a decent save either side of half-time from Shota Kanako. Kanako wasn't to be denied though, and he produced a goal just as good as Nagakura's to make it 1-1 in the 48th minute. Just inside the gunma penalty area out on the left, he curled a beautiful effort into Kushibiki's top right-hand corner. Not dissimilar to Tomoya Fukumoto's goal for Okayama uh, away at Kumamoto as well. So it was 1-1 in the 48th minute here. Gunma seemed to finish the stronger of the two sides. They did find the net again through a header from Ryo Kawamoto, but that was ruled out for offside. And late on, a tired-looking Nagakura fired wide of the far post from about 12 yards. Gunma 1, Iwata 1 is how the game finished. Gunma sit in 8th place, 3 points off the top 6, uh, and in the middle of a 7-game unbeaten run. Iwata, as mentioned earlier, a second and just six points behind the leaders Machida, uh, although they've played a game more, and level on points with third place Tokyo Verdi there. Iwata just one goal ahead of Verdi on goal difference. Iwata also in a good run of form. They're unbeaten in seven games as well. All right, I think that's all the on-field action from round 27 covered then. Please stay tuned. In a moment, it's uh, two Johnny's time. I got together with Johnny Nicol. Lots to discuss, uh, but with a J2 focus, we'll be talking mainly about the Gunma Iwata game. So yeah, please stay tuned. Uh, Johnny and uh, Johnny are coming up in a moment. J2, it's your time. Welcome back everyone, uh, John Steele here again uh, for some uh, chat time on this segment uh, of the pod and uh, as we all know sometimes one Johnny just isn't enough so uh, I'm joined by uh, Johnny Nickel for another two Johnnies uh, special. Johnny it's been a few weeks since we uh, since we got together, how are you doing? Yeah I'm do- doing not too bad, I'm gearing myself up for a, a busy summer of, of podcast uh, posting and, and punditry but so just about surviving this this hot weather. Uh, how about yourself, John? Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, very, very, very similar. We were just chatting before recording. Uh, Johnny, summertime is always a, a bit of a, a kind of a war of attrition for us, isn't it, against the yeah. the, the searing heat? But uh, yeah, we're we're still in one piece. Uh, at time of recording so let's let's hope it stays that way i know where nara club might have something to say about that in your <laughs> your near future with a, a 3 p.m kickoff uh, for you coming up uh, in a few weeks there but um yeah you mentioned you your kind of assignment for the summer your uh your summer homework i suppose in a way is this uh you, you, you're in you've been handed the keys to big pod uh for a few weeks and uh yeah now that now the initial uh 
the initial frisson of a, a you know excitement has settled. I'm sure you were you're eager to, to get on with that and give the listeners uh, you know plenty to look forward to on that score. So good luck, uh, good luck with that uh, over the coming weeks. I think we can give the listeners a quick preview of uh, what to expect from your sort of J1 coverage Johnny because we do have before we talk J2 as usual there is one um, kind of dirty stop out J1 game from last weekend that we can uh, we can discuss for a few minutes so this is the match between Colby and Kawasaki uh, which was postponed back in round 16 I think that was finally played yeah finally played on Saturday night uh, last week and it turned out to be a pretty good one uh, in advance of our chat I did uh, I did sneak in a quick uh, check of the highlights and it was Kobe 2 Kawasaki 2 in the end wasn't it a result that leaves Kobe a point clear of Yokohama Marinos at the top of the table but uh, it, it wasn't a kind of a yeah, an easy point for Kobe. They had to come back from two goals down to get that point. Kawasaki with 2-0 up at half-time, thanks to goals from Yasuto Wakizaka and uh, Taisei Miyashiro. But Kobe hold themselves level thanks to a brace of goals in the space of about four minutes from uh, Yuya Osako. Uh, firstly from the penalty spot after a handball from Akihiro Ienaga and then a towering header from a corner. That, and I think that makes Osako the, the kind of um, leading scorer, doesn't it, in J1? 16 goals uh, so far this season. So... Kobe to Kawasaki to uh, Johnny. Uh, how did you see it? Well, yeah, this was a, an interesting game and a, a second tough game in a, in a row for Kawasaki after winning at Marinos the, the week before. And um, I think that the first half was was pretty even up until the goal, and it was, it was quite interesting because it's very hot, as we've said in, in the summer here in Japan, and that seemed to favour maybe Kawasaki's more measured style versus maybe the more frenetic, high pressing style of like Marinos or, or Vissel. Um, and then yeah. I know Frontale have been criticised for kind of overplaying and it seemed like they were going to try and walk the ball into the net and they'd almost blown their chance and then Yuki Honda couldn't quite make the, the clearance and, and Wakizaka, he, he just put his laces through it and you know, he was he was taking no prisoners and it's what, 1-0? And then yeah, the, the, the second goal when it was 2-0, I didn't really see any way back for Vissel because up until half-time they, they didn't really threaten and then mm. you know, into the, the beginning of the second half they didn't have about too many chances and I think people who have listened to me in these pods before will know my thoughts on, on ha- uh, like penalty kicks for non-deliberate handball when the ball's not travelling directly towards the goal. But in Vissel's defence, they have had a couple of goals go against them this season, and it, it is the rules. So, uh, well-taken penalty by, by Osako. And I, I think, yeah, Frontale would be very disappointed, as you say, to concede about four or five minutes later. And the way they did is just Osako just out-jumped Schwarz Schmidt at the, the near posts. But, you know, I don't want to bang on about this because I did talk about it last week with the Ken Matsubara sort of continuing on and then being subbed off for concussion. There was a, a clash of heads between uh, Kyohei Nobarizato and Yoshinori Muto in the first half. Nobarizato didn't look particularly good on his feet, but he played on for a good like five or six minutes and then was subbed off at half time. Muto also went off in the second half, but it wasn't a concussion related. I think it was his back, but whether the injury actually came from that initially, I'm not sure. And then uh, Koya Yuriki, who was actually a, he was a substitute, he came on and he had quite a nasty-looking wrist injury. I don't know if he's broken or dislocated it. But you might have heard last week in Big Pod, Sam and I were talking about the kind of uh, pros and maybe more cons of Jean Patrick starting, and he started this game. And I, I think Sam would probably be people would be nodding their head, agreeing with a lot of what Sam said last week. He he just didn't have the same effect from the start. And then after Muto and, and Yuriki went off injured, I think. Vissel lost a bit of their impetus, and if anyone was going to win it, I thought it was me Kawasaki at the end. So, you know, that's, that's Vissel, maybe psychologically it's quite good. They've moved a the point clear at the top, and they've 
five goals better off than, than Yokohama F. Marinos. And uh, Kawasaki, mm. yes, is seventh place. I, I know Sam and I ruled them out of the, the title race. I, I don't really see them catching Visa or Marinos, but third might not be out of the question. But you know, I wanted to, to ask you, John, what, what we're talking because last week, Sam and I, we, we kind of said that the, the league champion this year will probably come from the top four, like we sell Marinos, Grampus and Reds. And then, you know, if you look down to the bottom of the, the league, I don't know if you necessarily want to, but there's, there's an eight-point gap between Kyoto to, to Yokohama FC and a point ahead of Kashiwa and Shonan. So we kind of felt that the bottom three, that that will produce the, the ultimate team that, that goes down. So I wanted to ask you, I mean, would you, would you agree with those sentiments at both ends of the league? And also as a as a Yokohama FC fan, like where where would you like to see them strengthen, and and who would you say? You know, I recommended uh, Rio Watanabe last week, and as we'll get on to later, he's no longer available. But what kind of realistic names would you see you know, joining Yokohama FC this summer? Ooh, yeah, there's a lot lot to get my teeth into yeah. <laughs> there, uh, Johnny. Yeah, I spend it because I hate myself. I do spend an awful lot of time looking at the bottom of the the J1 uh, table <laughs> at the moment, and I think you yeah, I can't argue with that. I think the bottom three now are too far adrift uh, to, to, to catch anybody else up. So yes, I think the relegated team is going to come from the, the teams that are in the bottom three right now, right? Shonan, Kashiwa or Yokohama FC. I suppose, I know Shonan have strengthened by bringing in uh, Akira Disaro, the, the, the bald eagle from Shimizu, but I, d- I don't think he's going <laughs> to, I don't think he's going to have the kind of impact that's needed to get them, uh, you know, any higher than, uh, than 16. So yes, the relegated team is going to come from those three. I think I'm not as uh, confident talking about the top of the table. So I don't, don't spend as much time staring at that with my with with my head in my hands, you know, on a Monday Monday morning. But um, yeah, I don't know. For a while, I thought Kobe looked like they were going to sort of build up a, a Machida esque head of steam at the top. Uh, I'm not sure how much that was based on actual results or just my impression of the table from checking in now and again. Uh, and then it seemed like Marinos, kind of like you know the experienced uh, campaigners, kind of took over for a, a little while. And then, I, and then I felt like uh, I'm, I'm just like changing, changing sides left and right here. So, and then I was like, "Oh, Marinos will probably go on and you know extend, you know, make, make a, a gap at the top now." And that, that hasn't happened. And uh, yeah, so I, I think um, it's a really boring pod material, isn't it? You say, "Oh, the, the champion's going to be one of the teams that's in the top two at the moment." So it's not the kind of dynamite that, that listeners are necessarily looking for. But um, yeah, I think Urawa. You know, they got. There's always a chance of them getting in there I was impressed with uh, I'm always impressed with how efficient Nagoya are mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that Mitch Langerak always gets the credit he deserves as, in, in goal mm-hmm. he might possibly be the best goalkeeper in the in the league I think so yeah I wouldn't bet against that top four staying the same but I think from what I've seen and it's mainly been highlights from from the games involving these teams but I think yeah, Marinos and, and Kobe the best two teams, I think, so far. Mm-hmm. So I think Champions probably going to be one of those two. But I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule out Urawa or Nagoya at this stage. I don't see anybody else from behind them really coming up. I think Kawasaki improving recently, I think, last couple of games, but left themselves a bit too much to do, um, I think, to have a, a big say uh, this uh, this season. But um, yeah, let's uh, hope nobody uh, cuts this out and plays it back at the end of the end of the season. But um, how about you, uh, Johnny? I'll turn turn the tables. Oh no, uh, about your well, you give your opinion, then I'll, we'll talk about your FC's uh, much needed reinforcements after that. Do you, what, do, you, do you think that's about right? The top top yeah, two, would, the best I, two. I would go along with that with, with the caveat though that you know Urawa. I've been kind of busy with work, but I did see this on Shoya Nakajima today. And yesterday they seemed a Thai player called Panya, which I'm sure the PR department will have a, 
have a field day with them advertising their products. And mm. Hiroki Abe and I think yeah, Moberg's gone and they might get rid of another couple of their, their overseas attackers. So I think Urawa in the second half of the season could be a very different different beast to in the first half of the season. Mm. And yeah, Nagoya, I think we've flagged up a lack of depth there. We're going to talk about transfers later, but I know potentially by the time this pod comes out, I think Tojiro Kubo of, of Fujieda has been quite heavily linked with them mm. in kind of credible sources. So I think that'd be quite a good squad depth signing. Mm. But I, I would all, I would almost put Reds on based on new signings, maybe above Grampus and more likely to win mm. the title. But I still think, you know, Kobe, especially not being in the ACL, I think that really, really helps them out. Mm. Grampus aren't in the ACL either, but I can't see anyone bit below that top four mm. really kicking on. Mm. And if we're mentioning transfers in J1, Mutsuki Kato going from Cerezo to San Frecci, that might help them to have a crack at the top four, although I'm not, mm. not 100% convinced. Mm. And yeah, down the bottom, it seems to have happened very quickly, hasn't it? It's like, it's only a few, a couple of months ago or a few match days ago that it was quite tight. It was like six or seven teams down. Mm. And suddenly there's just that vast chasm has, has opened. Mm. And I mean, you look at Kashiwa and think, surely, yeah, surely they can't go down, but, in J League history, that that kind of thing has a history of happening. They have brought in, I think, it's T- Tomiya Inukai is going in on loan from Urawa, and he's not played a lot recently, and he's had an injury. But I think if he really is a far better player than, than 17th in J1, so if they can get him up and running, I think that matches an area of need. Um, again, Desaro, I think we talked about last week. I think if you look at strikers that Shonan could realistically have got, he's probably quite quite decent otherwise it's kind of taking a big chance in a, in a foreign import who may not settle mm. and then I've, I've not really commented on Yokohama FC other than I think in some recent games they've played pretty well for example against Gamba but they just haven't put the ball on the net and ultimately have had to, to take home just a point so I'm guessing like a, a striker yeah I mentioned Watanabe last week I don't really have another name in mind is, is anyone you have in mind it might be might be someone it could come in and do a job for the remaining like, 12 or 13 games. It's really difficult because I think your FC's uh, transfer policy, uh, either dictated by finances or, or some other, you know, mystic mystic runes that uh, Shuhei Yamada's got in his got in his office. Um, yeah, it seems to be you know in the in the, the winter they went for a lot of J2 players, mm-hmm. so they, they they're definitely in that in the habit of bringing up a, a J2 player. Uh, you know, bringing them with them into J1 with their, I think it's fair to say, varying degrees of success um, yeah. this season. Yeah, it's kind of agonising to have um, Kokiogawa sold or, or leaving because, mm. as you mentioned, mm. the, the team's actually been doing okay apart from having someone up front who can stick the ball in the back of the net. We haven't had anybody to rely on because um, Marcelo Hian uh, is, is a very, uh, very willing, uh, you know, he's a trier. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think he's quite convincing. And Silo Monero scored a few goals in J1 last time um, we, we were in the division, but hasn't really been... It's either been out um, out of favour or not fully fit, or probably somewhere in, in between. And mm-hmm. it's not, not really done much either. So, yeah, we, we desperately need someone kind of up at the top end of the pitch who could do um, do work uh, for us. And, yeah, I think I totally agree. Real Watanabe from Fujieda would have been a brilliant uh, candidate, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, kind of annoying that I think maybe six months ago or in the winter we might maybe could have taken him, uh, mm-hmm. but now he's, he's he's you know put himself in the shop window too much 
and he's done too well at Fuji and has got got a move to Saratoga Reserves now, so um, <laughs> won't see him again for a, for a, a few seasons. God God knows what his hair's going to look like by the time he by the time he resurfaces somewhere. But uh, yeah, so Real Watanabe not being available, you know, is uh, is a problem. I don't know why, but I feel like. I've been quite impressed with a couple of players. The one that we'll perhaps talk about in a moment is Motoki Nagakura. He mm-hmm. might just be on the tip of my tongue because he scored a brilliant goal for Gunma um, over the over the weekend. But I think he's the kind of player who might add just a little bit, a little bit of um, riz, as the youngsters say up front. Um, <laughs> too, for, too, too young for me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like Raz. Pretty sure it's like Raz. If 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 I'm wrong and it's something sexual, please tweet at me and we can change. We can edit. We can edit all this out. Um, but uh, yeah, somebody like him, or and I don't know why. I I feel, you know, a lot of your FC's kind of approach play build up is quite good. We're just missing, you know, we're just missing a little bit of um, kind of cutting edge, kind of on the on the edge of the penalty box and getting into the penalty box. I I think Rio Arita from Iwaki um, is the kind of player. Not maybe maybe not him, but a player like that is is what we what we. Your commerce have really been missing, so it might sound odd to say, "Oh, I want a player from the from the sort of bottom bottom of J two to help us out at the bottom of J one." But that kind of player, someone who's a little bit can go past people on the edge of the box, you know, mm-hmm. and put the ball in uh, into dangerous areas, would be quite good. He's he's notoriously wonky a finisher, though, so it might not help <laughs> as much in that sense. Basically, I don't know Johnny, but we need someone. Uh, someone to uh, help us, yeah. And I will just mention you, you mentioned Tojiro Kubo potentially leaving Fuji. That'd be a very rough week for them if they lose Real Watanabe and, and Tojiro Kubo at the same at the same time. Yeah, I, I also think you mentioned Kobe not having the ACL to worry about. They also got their uh, got their friendly with Barcelona out of the way, didn't they? Yeah. In June, so they, they don't have to worry about sort of running around in the heat uh, <laughs> during this little break in the J1 season. They they can recover and and, and recuperate. So. Um, maybe on on that note, Johnny, we can talk about some of the, the the sort of high profile friendlies that have been going on sort of up and down Japan in the last week or so. I know um, Celtic have been uh, been in town, haven't they? They had a very high scoring game against Yokohama Marinos with uh, I think Marinos eventually winning six four. Is is yeah. that right? So Mar- Marinos gonna Marinos, I suppose. <laughs> and then uh, I think they they used up all their goals in that game, didn't they? Because then Celtic uh, played against Gamba Osaka and only it was one nil. Yeah, one nil to Celtic in that game, and then the uh, the kind of showpiece game after that was Marinos against uh, Manchester City uh, at the weekend, and again uh, Ma- Marinos did their thing and it finished five three uh, to the to the European champions. So plenty of goals uh, flying around in, in most of these games, and uh, we're talking just after the conclusion of uh, another uh, less exciting uh, international match. This time Paris Saint Germain against uh, Al Nasser of uh, Saudi Arabia. That game finishing nil nil. At uh, Yanmar Stadium uh, in uh, Nagai Stadium in Osaka, um, Johnny. I think the only thing I wanted to comment on, really, and you, you can add anything you want to on this, is just the the attendances always interest me for this kind of game. Obviously, Marinos against Manchester City. That's that's a big draw, isn't it? It was sixty one thousand at uh, I think uh, Cockridge Kogijo for that one. Yeah. Uh, but the other games kind of caught my eye. Marinos against Celtic got twenty thousand, which I think is okay. Uh, Gamba Osaka's game against Celtic had twelve thousand, um, perhaps a bit lower than the organisers would have hoped. I I suspect, and I, I couldn't find an official figure for the the, the PSG game against Al Nasser tonight. But I saw about fourteen thousand five hundred was was kind of doing the rounds on the internet as a, a as a, an attendance figure. Which again, I was watching the game on TV and the. 
the ends behind the goals were very busy, but the, the main stand and the back stand were very sparsely sparsely populated. So, um, j- j- just real quick, um, w- w- what did you make of this uh, this year's slate of um, money spinning uh, tours? And uh, yeah, uh, do you think the tickets are too expensive? Um, don't need to go go too crazy on this, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a sign of the times that these games aren't selling out a lot of the time. I think. I think first of all we'll start off in a positive because we we can pat ourselves on the back because we we did a Patreon only uh, podcast last summer after PSG were here then, and I think we both concluded that other big clubs will be be looking at the success of the tour and looking to reciprocate or mm. looking to that's the wrong word looking to copy what what they did, and I think I feel like living in Japan there is a lot of like authentic like local interest in these kind of clubs. Especially like a Manchester City who have just won the won the treble and European champions, um, as you saw last year with P- PSG clubs like Bayern, they're, they're very big over here. But you know, I, I can talk more about like Gamba versus Celtic because I'm a Gamba fan and only twelve and a half thousand. I think they could easily have doubled the attendance if they had priced it the, the same as a as an ordinary J1 game. I mean. I pay usually about 4,000 yen for my ticket. It was like 15,500 for this game. Mm. And then subsequently hearing that Celtic changed all 11 players at half time and Gamba changed eight players from the, the win over Kashiwa for the start of the game. Realistically, she'd probably be charging less than a, a J1 game for what was just a, like a training match. Mm. Um, the, the one thing, because you know, like, a lot of people have made very good points about, about being overpriced online, I'm sure everyone's everyone's heard it. The one thing I would point out that I've not seen talked about too much is you know, where you buy your tickets. I, I'm assuming Gamba are pretty similar to most other J-League sites and that the majority of fans will buy their tickets either on the official J-League site or at a convenience store. Neither of those options were available for this game and it wasn't even the same ticket site that last year for the PSG lottery. It was a completely different one. And I'm sure did a course in business at university, and I don't remember the exact number, but the amount of kind of barriers you put in people's way to stop them giving you business, you lose X amount of percent of people. Mm. I think just the combination of overpricing, um, the, the current, like Japan is still bouncing back after the, the coronavirus pandemic, or bouncing back might be a bit too positive. Mm. And also, like I can buy my tickets for a regular daily game, like just logging in and a, couple, a few clicks of a button, and it's done within like, 90 seconds, whereas for this, you have to go the whole process of setting up for a new site and going through this, that, and the next thing. It just, yeah, it's like they're trying to get people not to go to the game. There is genuine interest here, but not with all the kind of obstacles put in people's way, is, is what, what I would say. So I started in a positive and finished in more of a, a negative. So, Take it away, John. What would you say to that? No, I think starting on a positive and then going negative is just the way the pod usually usually goes. Because usually <laughs> it's just Kanazawa, Kanazawa, the, uh, the 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 recipients of that kind of treatment. So don't worry, Johnny. The listeners are ready ready for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think the that's a really interesting point about the the ticketing uh, system. I was toying with the idea of uh, going to watch one of the uh, PSG. Uh, they have an open uh, training session in Tokyo next week, mm-hmm. uh, which is. Um, First of all, you have to pay to go. It's not free. So I don't know if I call it reasonably priced because I'm not sure you should be charging people to watch, <laughs> to watch training sessions. But in comparison to match tickets, it's reasonable. Um, but yeah, you have to use this, uh, this ticketing, uh, site called Ticket Board, which I don't have a, a login for. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've reached the age now, uh, where I've got too many accounts and too many logins for things that yeah. I, I think I'm becoming the, the, the biggest risk to my sort of internet security is myself. 
because I have too many, <laughs> too many, too much of my personal information is out there in too many different places. So yeah, I personally have a a sort of soft rule that unless I absolutely have to, I don't sign up for any new um, any new accounts or anything on, on any services. So yeah, that that was the final nail in the coffin for me of like, oh well, this is not not cheap, and oh you need me, to, you need me to put all this information in. No, I'm just not going to yeah. do it. So I think that kind of um, sort of as a, a real world example of your business studies uh analogy there where yeah you just make it difficult for people um then they're not gonna not gonna be interested i mean d- difficult and expensive are two things that they're, they're two things that you don't want to hear back from your focus group right when you yeah. when you're arranging these things so yeah i i think it's always interesting to see the evolution of these uh these kind of international uh tours i know a lot of fans are dead against them because they um are perceived to damage the local game in some way uh you know was i'm i'm, I'm not sure i've seen any any actual evidence of that because i'm I'm not sure the audience is the same audience you know i'm not sure the yeah. people are going to watch j-league games week in week out are skipping j-league games to save up money um to, to watch these these lucrative uh friendlies i know there are there are fans who try and do both and i feel for them because <laughs> summer can be very expensive <laughs> if you try and do that um but yeah I'm, I'm really curious to see what what will happen uh this time next year because obviously um japan's a kind of tried and trusted a uh, lucrative market for these tours Mm-hmm. But I will be very surprised if there isn't some revision of kind of ticket prices or, or ticketing uh, options for these games. Um, yeah. I think we're always going to have the super expensive ticket. You know, there's always going to be something which is like a million yen and you can <laughs> meet the players before the kickoff or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think the some of the ticket prices for these, you know, PSG games, like 50,000 yen to sit sort of, you know, in the, in the back stand or something for one game is not... Mm-hmm. Um, it does look, uh, it looks just just greedy. I think, yeah. Uh, and I think that is something where um, something I felt in the past about the J League is Japanese fans are too good. They're too too. Um, what's the word? Too durable, if you like, mm-hmm. and they'll put up with a lot um, that they shouldn't have to put up with when they go to the stadium and watch a game. And I, I think I'm almost. Um, I think it's kind of good to see these games on this year not selling out quite as quickly or not selling out mm-hmm. at all because. I think it will send a message that, um, you know, let's be honest, for, for, for the mega clubs, money is kind of the only thing they do understand. So yeah. um, it will be good to have that message of, yeah, you can come to Japan. There's, like you said, there is interest here. That's that's proven. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. But it has to be priced in a way that people don't have to, like, you know, sell, you know, kidneys or remortgage <laughs> their houses to, to, to get along to a game. I mean, um, yeah, only 14000 for for... You know, Al Nasser and, and Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar didn't even get off the bench. I don't think tonight. So, um, yeah, it's something something that um, yeah, I'm available for, for consultancy on this. If anyone's <laughs> listening and needs help organising a Japan tour, but uh, yeah, I think we agree, Johnny. This is the, the main issue is probably ticketing. Ticketing makes it difficult um, to to get across the game. We haven't really touched as well. Even watching on TV has been difficult for some of these games, hasn't it? Because uh, I'm not even sure where the Gamba game against Celtic was. Was it Wow Wow? Was it on Wow Wow? I, I was watching Visel Kawasaki, which is yeah, yeah, no, that's no, that's yeah. that's a good, probably a good choice in the circumstances. But yeah, no, I watched PSG on kind of regular TV tonight. But I think the other games are on some. Again, it's 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 a free service that's run by Docomo, I think, but you have to sign up and register. So again, that right. falls foul of my um, inbox zero strategy going forward so I won't be won't be partaking but yeah we'll, we'll watch that one with interest and perhaps we can uh, I'm sure maybe 12 months from now we'll have a very similar very similar <laughs> chat it's kind of an annual kind of temperature check of mega mega clubs mega club brand 
mega club brand strategy with with the two Johnnies. Yeah, um, we'll have to workshop. Might have to workshop the name there, Johnny. But uh, yes, Short, uh, shorten it down. Yes, get, yes, yes, yes. We'll throw that out to the listeners. I think for sure. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, thanks, Johnny. I think that's probably, um, with, with the best will in the world, probably enough um, sort of J1, uh, you know, uh, Galacticos and, and, and big money, big money chat. So uh, let's let's get down and dirty for the rest of our, our chat time. Let's talk about J2. Um, I think listeners have already heard me and James kind of rounding up most of the on-field action from the weekend, from round 27. You um, messaged me and said you wanted to talk about one, possible one, possibly two games in particular. And th- the game that you uh, picked out was Gunma against Iwata uh, from from the weekend. So this was a one-one draw, as listeners will have heard already. I think we uh, we can say it was lit up by those two brilliant goals, right? Firstly, Motoki Nagakura with that half volley. Um, you know, from Rio Sato's high ball to put Gunma in front. Uh, and then, yeah, n- not bad either was the equaliser from Shota Kanako, right? That curler from the kind of angle, you know, the corner of the penalty area right at the start of the second half. So Gunma won, Iwata won was, was how the game finished. Uh, yeah, any any observations, Johnny? Or what, what, did, what did you want to say about uh, Gunma and, uh, and Iwata? Yeah, well, as you say, two, two, two wonderful goals from Nagakura and Kaneko, which were, were slightly above the, the general standard, which they probably describe as, as kind of an, an arm wrestle. I think um, the game hadn't really settled down when, when Nagakura took, took that wonderful goal and then Jubilo gradually kind of pushed forward and I'm sure has already been covered in the pod. It, they came really close to equalising just before half-time. I think they had two or three pretty good chances. Kushibiki made a couple of excellent saves and to be honest, I think Guma were quite lucky to go in one one up at the break, and then after Kaneko scored right at the start of the second half, I, I kind of thought of Jubilo win two one or three one, but it didn't really pan out that way. And actually, I think Guma were the more likely. They, they threw in a couple of kind of lively players. They didn't really know too much about late on, and they looked more likely to catch Jubilo on the counter attack. Um, yeah, so I think what one one is pretty much a, a fair result. Guma are an interesting one because they're you know up in eighth place, forty points, only three points outside the outside the playoffs. So I've got them as, as being completely safe for this season, regardless what what happens. Um, yeah, I think the, the coach has got them playing really well. I know Hatao and Okamoto picked up injuries at the back, but it was very interesting. I think they got through the first twenty-two or maybe twenty-three rounds of the season, exactly the same goalkeeper and back four which I think has really, really helped them to keep it tight. They do have some pretty... Like their expected goals against, I think, is the worst in the division. I don't really dig into J2 stats enough to know about... It seems like in a lot of games they're just having a lot of shots go against them, but maybe they're kind of controlling where those shots are coming from, so they're not particularly high like high percentage chances. But yeah, I think having that settled lineup, and I think you, I'll let you talk about Nagakura later. I'll, maybe I'll talk about like Sato down the wing, who I think... We can't remember which one of us sort of wrote him off as being a, a poor signing in pre-season or a mediocre signing, but he's now joint leading assist maker in the league. And yeah, maybe maybe not destined necessarily for J1, but I don't know if he'll be hanging around at Goodman next season, or whatever the name is. I think they're, they're renaming renaming the side. Um, but yeah, I think he, he was pretty good. They've got that solid defence. Kushibiki, really good. Uh, I really like Amagasa in midfield. Uh, I kind of had my eye on him for a while and he, I thought he put a good a good display. So, I mean, realistically, Guma will probably fall a few places towards uh, towards the end of the season. But to be, you know, 15 games to go and absolutely like, smoking away from the relegation zone is, is completely un, un-Guma-like. So, 
think their, their fans can be more than happy about how the season's gone. Jubilo as well, after like not being able to sign anyone like last winter to be you know, in second place. And them and Verdi are only six points behind Machida, whose who's game in hand is Akita away, which is, which is no given. So, you know, I, I think what both of us didn't really have Jubilo as a genuine top six contender due to losing so many, or, or not being able to kind of replenish the squad o- over the winter. But it's been interesting, kind of, some much maligned players like Rio Germain and, and Komatsubara have actually, I mean, a, a level lower for sure, but they, they've kind of stepped up and put their hands up when when you did Shota Kaneko as well, he's been out of form for a few years and he's, he's you know, a brilliant goal in this game and I think he's contributed pretty well over the course of the, the season. So, yeah, Jubilo, there's no real like, one or two stars, but I think a lot of people have you know come together to, to help them out and, yeah, they've got every chance of, of going up. So, yeah, I think we, we can be very positive about both of these sides who have exceeded expectations in, in different ways this season. What about yourself, John? Is there any kind of particular players or, or anything you'd like to say about e- either of those sides? Yeah, well, I think just, just based on what you were saying there, I think we, we can draw a parallel between Gunma and Iwata because for me personally, I'm surprised to see both of them as high up the table uh, as they mm-hmm. are. I thought Iwata, you mentioned that the transfer ban that they had, um, I thought maybe upper mid-table with an outside tilt at the playoffs was probably about as good as could be expected from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Gunma, I mean... You know, I, I, at this point, I think I could fill up uh, a J2 league table from pretty much from memory uh, here. And, you know, over the past 10 seasons, and you have Gunma sort of third bottom or second bottom uh, in it. So to, to see them, like you say, pretty much completely safe and just basically uh, loving life up in eighth and, and so close to the, the top six is pretty incredible stuff, really. Um, so I think we've got to give credit to both both coaches um, for, mm-hmm. for the good work that they've done this season at, at the two clubs. I think you're right to pick out on, on the Gunma side. Maybe Amagasa has been a really good presence in midfield. Um, mm-hmm. Something that always worried me about Gunma was a kind of tendency to rely on um, older players. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, you could easily have had a centre midfield of Tatsuya Uchida and um, Hajime Hosogai, you know, yeah. as kind of the go-tos. But instead, we haven't really mentioned them very much or noticed them that much because instead it's been younger players like Amagasa. And uh, yeah, Gunma's another team where you always wonder well, where would the goals come from? Mm-hmm. And um, they're not the most prolific, I think it's fair to say. But in uh, Nagakura, they have a, a talented uh, player, uh, you know, Hayate Take plays there, doesn't he, as well? Mm-hmm. Um, I think. And he's, um, again, not the... Not quite a sort of Neymar level box office uh, <laughs> skill wise, but he's, he doesn't, um, you know, doesn't disgrace himself in terms of his effort and his energy. The, the goal that Nagakura scored at the weekend uh, it was my kind of favourite type of goal. If 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 I can just digress for a moment, where's the kind of perfect combination of confidence plus technique? Because mm-hmm. he basically just was like, you know, this is going in. Um, and it's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I think does attract attention from uh, from uh, higher hi- higher clubs or higher leagues because he looked like he was sort of doing it. Uh, he was operating on a different level at that point, basically. And that that was really good to see. I also give a quick shout out to um, I'm not really sure where this guy's best position should be, but Chie uh, Edo John uh, Kawakami because he wear I think he wears shirt number five, which um, in old money puts him at centre back, I think. But he just play there. He plays like right wing or right side back. And uh, his kind of bombing on down the wing and putting crosses in has been impressive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I think um, I think it's a real a real team effort from them. Probably again in a parallel to Iwata, they don't really have a standout player. 
um, mm-hmm. who you'd point to and say, well, without him, they're in big trouble or, you know, everything goes through this player. But um, yeah, Gunmer have done really, really well. And Iwata, I can't, can't quite decide how well they've done versus how sort of weak the rest of the top six is this year. Right. <laughs> um, because they haven't kind of necessarily blown that many teams away or blown my socks off with how they've played but suddenly they seem like the team most likely to give uh, Machida something to think about and again a couple of weeks ago Machida were like 12 point, well 10 points clear mm-hmm. and uh, it looked like we were going to have no no sort of title race at all and uh, if, if you attack and keep up the form that they're, they're having at the moment then uh, they uh, they will be the, the team that's most likely to challenge so I, I don't know whether that says about the, the kind of the chasing pack if you like or the rest of the top of I do think it's been a weaker J2 quality wise maybe this year in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in some areas but um, yeah that's not Iwata's fault that's not their problem <laughs> their job is just to try and get as many points as they can so I'm sure they're going to continue to do that I suppose if there was a, a standout player or a name to it would be uh, Keisuke it's not Keisuke Goto is it is that his name? The young yeah. guy, the young guy up front, yeah, yeah, the, the the striker. So he kind of exploded in sort of the first couple of games, didn't he? It is Keisuke Goto. Keisuke Goto. I, mean, I was I was thinking this when I was preparing for this pod. Like, not to anyone who ever appears on the podcast. If you're going to mention someone's name, write down both of their names. That the amount of times I've done this and had a name like Kato written down and then cannot remember what his what his first name is. Mm. So yeah, Keisuke Goto is the name that everyone listening wants to remember. Yeah, the, the 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 worst problem is like I am reaching the point where I'm sort of if this was Championship Manager, I, I've been watching the J League for something. I'm on kind of the Regen players now, <laughs> so there are names where um, who is the player? It's a you know Tomoya Tomoya Miki at Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to be a Ryota Miki at Okayama back in the ah. day, the big big striker, and uh, I, 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 it's not possible for me to type Tomoya Miki first time. I, I have to. T- my brain has to type Ryota Miki and then delete it. And if I don't catch that in time, that can lead to podcast uh, recording trouble. So, um, yeah, no, I sympathise, Johnny. It's a big, it's a serious, it's a, it's a real issue uh, for us. But um, yeah, I think uh, Iwata look very very handily placed. I mean, we're going into the last fifteen rounds of the season, right? The final final third. And um, I think they, they're going from strength to strength. Gunma, I don't think I can say they're going from strength to strength because they've been strong all season. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest, your definition of the game as a kind of arm wrestle, that suits Gunma quite a lot. Yeah. And a lot of their games, especially home games, have been like that this season. And I think it's happened often enough that it has, I think it's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's how they like to sort of um, wrangle uh, games uh, and, and get things going their way. But yeah, they've been a, to be honest, a breath of uh, fresh air in terms of how they've 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 done. And uh, yeah, rebrand is uh, is coming up, so we'll, we'll we wait to see um, what that looks like. I'm not sure about the panda being the new the new mascot. I'm not really sure. Um, I've never been to Gunma, but from what I can gather, pandas not uh, abundant. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that um, we'll we, we'll wait to see what uh, where that leads us. I, I think the um, the pro move will be to rename it as uh, the the Sento Gunma instead of something. <laughs> but um, I think that's a bit too uh, a bit too arch even for the J League. So yeah, we'll wait and see wait and see what that looks like. But um, yeah, what, what what do you make of the um, b- before I move you on, uh, Johnny? For time reasons, what what about J two in general this year? Because it's a while since we had a chat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you sort of quizzed me about the top of the J1 table and asked me where the, the, the champion was, was coming from. In J2 at the moment, uh, I mean, my um, my gut tells me it's Machida plus one mm-hmm. um, to, to go up to J1 for next year in terms of the automatic promotion places. Do you, um, do, do you think that's fair enough? 
Yeah, just just about. Um, and as someone who, who often watches J1, I'm very excited to see. This will be my first time ever seeing more than one like Tokyo team in, in J1. So it'd be very. I'd like to see Verdi go off as well. To, to be fair, um, but I, I kind of agree with your sentiments with the, the kind of overall standards. Like I think there's certain players like like, like Eric at Machida or um, like Takashi Inui at, at, at S Pulse or like Naoki Nomura at Oita. And these players are officially J2 players, but they're not really J2 level. There's like certain players that do stand out, Peter Utaka as well, even at his age. But I think the overall standard, like if you look at the, that top six, and then if you were to ask me to say how many teams could break into that top six, I mean, I could only really name you Nagasaki or Okayama. I think have a genuine shot of breaking in. I think Yamagata are too, too far back. So I think... The only one of that top six I really see falling out, I think this has been mentioned before, maybe Kofu. Um, I, I, the way I've seen Kofu, I think they've got a reasonably solid defence and Motoki Hasegawa is a really like, good creative player, but I think the only thing really separating them from like fourth and tenth is, is Peter Yutaka having been a far more clinical finisher than, than what, well, been a clinical finisher at a level that's way above of J2 because mm. he doesn't create that many chances but he takes every chance that comes to him so mm. I, I wonder what they're going to do with the, the ACL because obviously there's a transfer regarding Kofu we'll come on to later what their attitude will be if they give him a token like 90 minutes and then that's it and you're just focusing on going up in, in J2 um, I think the other end of the table is far more fascinating to be honest um, I would draw the line you know um, for, for teams going down I would say between 13th and 14th. I think Akita will be okay and Jeff, but Fujieda are only eight points above. And we've mentioned they've lost Watanabe. If Kubo potentially plus one more goes, then they've got a horrible defense and they don't necessarily have a particularly good attack. So they could nosedive. Kumamoto, I think you're going to have Gary Irwin on in in a few weeks. You might talk about them more, but they're only four points ahead of the drop zone and they really, really need to send a, a striker like that. I think they did a couple of false positive results after the injury to Ishikawa, but mm. since then, I think, because I think they had Shunito was the main attacker last night, and yeah, it's just not <laughs> happening. Sendai are the, they're the big, like, no wins in the last seven games, I think. They're just in free fall, so yeah, they're only four points above the relegation zone. That's the one everyone will be keeping an eye on. Mito reminds me of a, an under 23 side in J3. They've got all these players on loan from from big clubs in J1 and it looks great but there's just a kind of lack of end product or a lack of ability to see out games. Iwaki now I think are actually going to be okay because Iwabuchi's got like six goals and six sub-appearances mm. and he basically gave them the thing they lacked which was the ability to be clinical in front of goal and others have kind of followed. Below that I think everyone's in big trouble. Yamaguchi I think will probably just about get out of trouble but Tochigi Goal scoring, goal creation is a big problem. Tokushima are not that good. Kanazawa, I don't want to upset the natives, but you know they, they know. We just listened to James last week, and Sviertrok is very um, a very interesting setting for Omiya. But against Mito, who are not renowned for their great defending, they, they had three shots, and according to the highlights, two of them are from Sviertrok right at the end. So it, it appears to be him or bust. So I, I'm, Omiya, I think it's been really difficult for them to get out, and I'd probably say one of the 19th, 20th or 21st might go down with the potential for a Kumamoto or Fujieda to just completely collapse and go down. 
Oh. Any, any agreements or disagreements? Oh, oh Johnny, you, you're going to say you're going to say you want you want more Kanto teams in J1, and uh, half of the bottom, you know, the bottom half of J2 are all in danger. We're going to have to get <laughs> have to turn off your notifications for a few days after. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think that's fair. I think um, to simplify that for me, yeah, it's Machida plus one uh, for the top two, and then at the bottom, I think Ormia. They're just the kind of team where they might somehow get out of it, whether that's uh, spearheaded by uh, uh, you know Suetchok or, or 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 somebody else, kind of uh, you know leads them. You know, Jin Izumisawa suddenly rediscovers his his touch and, and leads them to uh, to safety. I think the funny thing about Omi is the the problems are perhaps at the other end, right? D- d- defensively, they're not. Although to be honest, they have kept some clean sheets in the last couple of games, but I think they just really need. Um, we'll come on to the fixtures at the weekend in a moment. But they're away at Kanazawa, right? It's the bottom two going head to head on Sunday. Uh, for Omiya, that's a must-win game. I think. I mean, poor old, uh, poor old Steve Fry on Twitter. You know, he's, the last three have been must-wins, and I don't think they've won any. Um, mm-hmm. And th- there are some good players in the team, but time is running out for them. It's very hard for me to get positive about a team going into the final third of the season when they've been disappointing for the first two thirds. So yeah, I think Omi are in massive trouble. One one glance at the table can tell you that. For the other relegation place, it's really tight. Something funny, um, and I think this is a cognitive problem that I have, is at the top end, um, it always feels like teams do badly but don't slip down the table. Mm-hmm. So like Tokyo Verde haven't won at home in eight, but have been second and are now third after all that mm-hmm. time. And uh, same with one or two other teams up at the top. I mean, Sendai have been on a terrible run, but for ages they were terrible, but like, stuck around the top six mm-hmm. um, as well. Uh, at the bottom, I've had the opposite problem where it seemed like, you know, um, sorry, Yamaguchi been on a good run, but mm-hmm. are not clear of it by any stretch of the imagination, are they? Um, there was also a spell, good spell for Tokushima, where they were dead and buried for a while, and then they, they're not dead and buried anymore, but they still things don't look great. Um, same for Tochigi, they have a good result now and again. Mito have a good result now and again, but none of them consistent enough to make you think, well, they'll be fine. Um, mm. I think we, 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 what will stand Iwaki in good stead is they've had their kind of um, dumpster fire stage already uh-huh. and come through that. And I think I actually watched a good chunk of their game away at Oita at the weekend and there was not much between those sides at all um, mm-hmm. for huge chunks of that game. I think Iwaki have developed a lot since round one and are a lot more um they were always very physical uh but now they seem to have caught on to when to be physical and when to play which sounds like a very simplistic way of looking at it but um you can't just like wrestle people all the time yeah uh, when you get into j2 that there has to be times when you, you you have to play a bit as well to get your goals and then you can go in front and then you can wrestle people <laughs> until it's finished and get get your <laughs> yeah. points. Uh, Omiya, Omiya, when I watch Omiya, I, I don't see that level of, um, what do you want to call it, growth or development in the last three seasons, mm-hmm. um, really. Where I think Iwaki have made good progress with that in, in, in uh, you know, just over half a season. So I think I agree with you that they will probably be all right. I think Fujieda might just about have enough points in the bank that they'll be all right as well. Although I know you mentioned mm-hmm. that they're not, uh, they're not they're not out of trouble mathematically either. Um, Kumamoto, Akita, very hard to imagine them going down just for me personally. Mm-hmm. But um, I think they might have a few nervous glances over their shoulder between now and now and November. But um, yeah, I think one of those teams like it wouldn't be surprising at all to see Mito Tochigi, uh, you know, in that other relegation spot. I don't think, or even Yamaguchi, despite how well they've done. 
in the last few weeks. I think it'd be more surprising if uh, Tokushima or Kanazawa go down, just for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but by no means is it uh, is it a foregone foregone conclusion that they'll be safe. So I I, I think probably when we, when we when we get into the last sort of four rounds last month of the season, I think the bottom is where it's going to be really really exciting to be honest. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Okay. I think we've annoyed annoyed uh, uh, as many teams <laughs> as we can, <laughs> as many supporters as possible, Johnny. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting interesting running, and I think uh, James and I uh, will uh, well we'll have a lot to say probably about that Kanazawa Omiya match next week. Uh, I think as well. Um, okay, uh, Johnny. Thank thanks for the, uh, the we, we've done a lot there. We've done J uh, J one uh, big club friendlies and, and J two as well. Uh, before we talk about the J2 games coming up at the weekend, um, one of your uh, many strengths is your ability to like be just uh, across all the transfer news, uh, Johnny, which I find really difficult to do. So I asked you before we uh, before we started recording, or n- not right before we started recording, but in advance, um, the transfer window is open now in the J League. There have been some eye-catching moves um, w- with J2 clubs uh, involved, so I asked you to pick up maybe three, four, five of the big, the big news, big transfers for the listeners to keep an eye on. And uh, what, what, what have you got for us on kind of a transfer, transfer tip? Well, luckily, we, we largely agreed. And, and just, just to the listeners, I know there's a lot of transfers going on. So, so John and I have just decided to mostly focus on ones that involve a player going either from J1 to J2 or, or vice versa. And when I'm on J1 in the upcoming weeks, we'll I'll obviously cover people like, like Shuya Nakajima and, and Tomiya Inukai, people like that, but. Yeah, maybe I'll start on Ryo Watanabe because we've already mentioned him. And yeah, fantastic form this year. He's been really clinical in front of goal, 13 goals in 26 games. My only real concern about him is prior to that, he's had four seasons in J3, which yielded only 20 goals. So I mean, what, what, who is the real Ryo Watanabe? I slightly have a vibe of him a bit like a Koji Suzuki. He used to play at FC Ryukyu in, in Machida, had a really good start to the spell with, with Ryukyu in, in J2. And then went to Serizo and didn't really do much, but now he's he's kind of doing all right at Niigata. And I think Watanabe can be a decent J1 striker, but maybe not like Serizo or basically a top six team. I don't know if he really has the the nous or ability to play regularly uh, at that level, but we will see. Um, yeah, I guess you've probably already heard about um, the, the listeners already heard from James or, or John about Hikaru Nakahara. He's had a, a very good debut for for FC Tokyo and. I think that is a very good signing. I, I think he might actually be better than, than Byron Vasquez. So um, a very positive signing for, for Verde as they look to get, get promoted. Um, and then two, two players going from, from J2 to J1, uh, two fullbacks. First was actually quite surprising, maybe not from a Kashima perspective, but from a, a Kofu perspective. is um, Bamfari Kofu captain and uh, fullback Hidehiro Sugai going on a full transfer to Kashima to replace the departed uh, Keigo Tsunemoto. Um, uh, I saw a number of Gamba fans were very disappointed they wanted him to replace Handa. He, he's someone I wrote about last year, about a player I thought was going to make it up into J1, so I'm not surprised he's joining a big club like Kashima. I am a bit surprised with, with Kofu's um, ACL campaign coming up and also located fourth uh, in, in J, J2, looking at a playoff position to get into J1, that the captain would leave. So apparently, I think you mentioned earlier about the Japanese fans are very durable. Apparently, he got very nice responses from the Kofu supporters. I'm not sure if it would be quite the same if it was done in a European club, but um, I'm, I'm sure he'll do very well over time at, at Kashima. And Kofu do have some decent fullbacks. I'm not sure it's a massive, massive loss for them. 
Similarly, uh, a very highly rated young fullback, Hijini Kato, a left back, he's gone to um, Viva in Nagasaki to Yokohama F. Marinos, where he'll join Asahi Renaka, his former teammate. He's, he was a really good player. He had a really good um, assist record, but this season he has really found it difficult to break into the team. Has a lot of Japan like, youth experience and highly rated. And I know uh, Katsuya Nagato will continue to be the, the first choice at Marinos, but Yuta Koiki got a serious knee injury, so there's definitely a chance for Kato to become a regular in the, the match day squad and maybe even fill in for Nagato in a, a few games. So, yeah, four, four signings, I, I think, in, in the role, I'd give them all pass marks. And I'd probably say um, Nakahara is the, the best signing for the, the, the signing team, as in, as in Verdi, and then followed by Sugai, and then maybe Kato and Watanabe t- together. Um, yeah, what do you make of them, John? And also, the, I think we didn't, I didn't mention Taiki Kato as a, a transfer that's just going through today. Do you, do you have anything to add about him or, or any of the transfers I just mentioned? Uh, no, I think it was interesting. We we separately compiled, uh, compiled our sort of big five lists. And we, we like you said, we were, we were very similar mind in terms of which were the eye-catching ones. I think Ryo Watanabe, you know, he's, he's come into J2 and scored goals without any trouble. Uh, this season, I think if you're being hypercritical, you might say Fujieda's attacking style makes it a good team to play in for, mm-hmm. for a forward. You know, you get lots of chances to score. I think Hikaru Nakahara going to uh, to Verdi is is a great signing because he's you know was brilliant at Kumamoto when he was in J2 last. Uh, but I also think that's a cautionary tale for Watanabe, right? So you know, when mm-hmm. you go to Saratoga, it's hard to break in. And yes, you know, forward, there's only one or two places. The competition's very fierce. I'm not sure how Watanabe will do. Um, I do know that he's going to leave a huge uh, hole at the top of the Fujieda attack, which they'll, they'll do very well to, uh, to, to fill. So I'm expecting them to, to maybe slide down the table a little without, without his goals. Hijiri Kato, yeah, he's kind of in the Seiya mold, right? We're talking a lot about Soretsu here. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's the kind of... Nagasaki do a good line in right-backs, don't they? And, uh, yeah, he, he's another one in that in that mold, or full-backs, I, I suppose I should say, because I think he can play on, on either side. But, um, yeah, again, he will be missed at Nagasaki, but I think they have a pretty good system, and I think they know when players are on the production line and are going to leave... So mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to impact them too much uh, between now and the end of the season. Uh, Sugai leaving Kofu is a bit of a strange one in terms of timing. Yeah, mm-hmm. why, why would that happen now versus in the uh, in the winter? I suppose Kashima have a, a vacancy at right back that they need to uh, to fill. I think he's one of the kind of big four or five Kofu players that they can't really afford to be without, to be honest. I think my, my group would be Utaka, uh, Hasegawa, uh, Torikai I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sugai and possibly they'd even have the goalkeeper Kohei Kawata uh, mm-hmm. into that as well so I think they're, they're definitely missing a player who just won't be easy to replace for them I think he's I played every game so far this season as well yeah and he's played you know it's not just his defending but he's a real um, sort of the, the way that he can kind of raid forward as well will really be will, will be missed I think at Kofu uh, yeah so that, that's, a, that's a bit of a head scratcher considering they have so much left to play for this season in terms of playoffs in J2 automatic promotion even and then maybe um, you know possibly the, the ACL as well they might have ambitions of at least getting out of the group stage if they can mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I also think Taiki Kato I mean he's been pretty good for Yamagata I think when he's played mm-hmm. scored quite a few goals um, obviously he's going back to Kanazawa uh, where he's played before but um, yeah that one for me um, 
yeah, it, it, again, the timing's a bit of a strange one. I think that's the kind of move that you'd expect to see maybe in the close season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm never sure why clubs that are under no pressure to, to move players on, you know, sell players that are kind of regularly in the playing in the first team mm-hmm. picture um, at, at, the, at the end of the season. I think one thing we, we can see is Yamagata wouldn't sell him to a team they consider a direct rival, I don't think. Mm. So we can assume um, if if p- people in the front offices have uh, got their ducks in a row, this means Yamagata think they're not in any any relegation <laughs> trouble this season, uh, and Kanazawa definitely are. So um, mm. yeah, that 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 might be the, the takeaway from that transfer. But um, yeah, as you mentioned, I think there's, there's going to be too many transfers between now and uh, you know the next couple of weeks for us to keep an eye on everything and maybe mention everything on the pod. But we will try to mention the uh, the big ones o- on Real Watanabe. It's the kind of signing where. Um, to, to, to digress again, uh, Johnny, for a long time in uh, in the nationwide league uh, division two, where Stoke were for a time, Wigan Athletic were the big spending team, and uh, there was a, there was a spell where every player that Stoke wanted to sign, uh, Wigan, who were bankrolled by uh, Dave Whelan of uh, you know uh, J, JJB Sports mm-hmm. uh, fame, he 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 would always come in and like blow blow us out of the water. Uh, with like wages and things and uh, we could never get any of those basically Stoke would like identify a player and target them and then Wigan would just come and take them it was very frustrating but then uh, it pleased me when Wigan got into the Premier League Dave Whelan would be on TV moaning about how he was now being blown out of the water by proper football clubs with, with big money so your call FC obviously we, we couldn't hold on to Koki Ogawa because a club from Europe came in for him but um, I, I, want, I wanted your Karma FC to be the Wigan for once and I wanted us to go and replace him with with someone from, from, from J2 as like a proven goal scorer but we just left it too long uh, you know, I think if you get a phone call from Set Osaka and a phone call from your Calm FC, even I'm not um, not silly enough to think that you wouldn't maybe <laughs> wouldn't maybe listen to what Set Osaka had to say yeah. first. So, um, yeah, never mind. We'll uh, we'll wait to see. And no doubt there'll be a transfer business at Gamba Osaka to discuss as well. In, uh, I think in Kose Kani was he was carried on the shoulders of the players and this photo taken in front of the fans, which means he's off to the the Belgian second division. So. Right. We might be, might be raiding J two for a reserve goalkeeper. All uh, right. Okay. Okay. That could be uh, that could be good news for you, Yuya Yuya Sato at Kumamoto. Maybe you know, <laughs> one more one more roll of the dice. You know, back, could, back, could get a movie out of it. Yeah. Back back for one last uh, one last mission. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 trailer would have him sitting down and then saying, "How do you feel about playing a high line?" And he's just like rubbing his hands or you know stroking his beard. Anyway, on the, on that note, Johnny, I think. Um, we can maybe just look ahead to the, the J2 fixtures coming up at the weekend, if that's okay, if you give me help sure, to sure. preview some of them. So we're already on round uh, 28. Um, mathematics, notoriously a, a weak point for me, but I believe that means after the weekend we'll be two-thirds of the way through the, yeah. the regular season. Only 14 games will be left, so it's uh, starting to feel uh, quite pivotal uh, in some games, isn't it? So with round 28, almost all of the games, 10 fixtures are going to be played on Saturday. That's July the 29th. Uh, plenty of big games at 6pm. We're, we're on the summer kickoff schedule, so most games are 6pm. 6, 6 Leaders Machida host 20th place Tokushima, while second placed Iwata are on the road at Iwaki uh, to uh, inform teams going head-to-head uh, at different ends of the table there. Third place Tokyo Verdi host 16th placed Mito. Uh, fourth place Kofu are away at 19th place Tochigi. Uh, again, big uh, big repercussions or big ramifications at both ends of the table in that one. 
Shimizu still in 6th place and they host 9th placed Okayama and Gunma in 8th uh, go away to 13th placed Akita. Normally we'd be, uh, I'd be making a neck brace joke here but um, out of respect <laughs> for Gun- Gunma and Akita's achievements this season I will we'll not be doing those jokes for at least a few weeks. And then four games at 7pm, there's 5th place Oita hosting 11th place Yamagata. Uh, a Kyushu Derby, uh, Nagasaki against Kumamoto, that's 7th hosting 14th. Sendai against Fujieda on the slate, so a free fall in Sendai in 15th against the uh, Ryo Watanabe-less Fujieda who are in 10th. And then Jeff Chiba host Yamaguchi as well on Saturday evening, that's uh, 12th hosting 18th. And just one game on Sunday, Johnny, July the 30th, but as mentioned, it's a pretty big one at the bottom of the table. The bottom two go head-to-head at 7pm. It's Kanazawa hosting Omiya, 21st against 22nd. I'm not sure if uh, people's eyes will be glued to that or people will be watching through their fingers, but um, that's the uh, the big boy big boy football pick of the week, I think. Um, which games do you like the look of, Johnny? There's, there's quite a lot to get your teeth into there, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of games, I think the 6 o'clock Saturday games, they're all intriguing their own way but none of them really, it's like we said about like, like Gumma or Jubilee there's not like one that stands out in particular but I think when you move on to the Saturday 7 and the, the Sunday game I think the Saturday at 7 I've actually put down uh, Oita against uh, Yamagata, because mm. if you remember back, because Yamagata beat Oita 5-0 gave him a proper hiding um, at home, so I think Oita might be, might be out looking for revenge and it'll be interesting to see if, what kit Oita wear, because I noticed last week in my research, it's, it's very much summer summer kit season, so it, it takes a long time to identify which team is which. They had a very snazzy sort of, uh, if, I, if I was to be mean, it looked like something that comes out your nose, a kind of green and yellow. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that one, I have to be honest. Um, but I think that'll be, that'll be an interesting game, and I, I didn't mention actually earlier that Rui Yokoyama, I don't have enough data points in him, but I've liked what I've seen in the small parts I saw of him, and he really took it to Oita in the second half of the, the game earlier in the season, so I like the look of that game. Yeah, the Kyushu Derby as well, Nagasaki Kumamoto, because Nagasaki are only a point outside the playoffs. They really need to win. Kumamoto, as you say, struggling a bit, haven't, haven't won in the last five. If they could just grab a win somehow by hook or by crook, that would really that would give them a morale boost. And then, yeah, maybe maybe not one for the not for one for the purists, but I think Kanazawa Omiya would be the the one I would choose. The most important game, as you say, bottom two. If if Omiya lose, I think all all hope is lost. Really, um, Kanazawa, yeah, they can afford to lose it, but they really don't want to. I think that would have quite to lose at home to Omiya, the, the one team below you. I think it would be really damaging to morale. So I think think that's if you're to watch one game, I think it would be the Sunday night game. Mm. Given its own, own billing, but what about yourself, John? Which which game or games would you would you pick out there? Yeah, well, I, I picked out three, but I'm in agreement with you on a, on a couple of them. I think Nagasaki and Kumamoto feels quite big uh, because I think Shimizu against Okayama. Shimizu obviously, um, you know, free flowing attacking team score a lot of goals. Okayama, the kind of side that might give them some trouble, I think. Mm. Uh, in terms of usually being quite solid and able to hit teams on the break, Okayama, you know, having that win. Uh, win away at Kumamoto was, you know, digging deep to get that, I think is going to help them, you know, having a, a second consecutive away game. So if Shimizu do have any trouble against Okayama and don't win, uh, Nagasaki could kind of leap, leapfrog them into the top six um, mm-hmm. if they beat Kumamoto, sort of going into the last third of the season. I think psychologically that could be quite important. I still think Shimizu will end up being in the top six at the end of the season. 
Um, but um, yeah, I just wonder if maybe Okayama might give them some trouble and uh, that could give Nagasaki away a, a route back into the top six by the end of play on Saturday. Um, Tochigi Kofu, I just got a feeling Tochigi is going to win that game 1 0. I don't know why. Um, you, you know how it is. Uh, you know, you, some, you sometimes get these premonitions, don't you? So, um, yeah, don't whatever. Nobody put any money on that if, if you're listening. And um, yeah, the Kanazawa Omiya game. I mean, yeah, it's hard to look beyond that. It's been the pick, the pick at the bottom, isn't it? And I just wonder, Omiya. Um, I think even if they wanted to press the panic button again this season, I'm sure it's already worn out. Uh, you know, they changed managers already and 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 brought in a kind of string of uh, panic panic buys, haven't they? Of new players. Kanazawa, not a panicking team. You know, they, they tend to stick with Masaki Yanagista's coach no matter what. Um, I just wonder if, were they to lose this game, obviously, you know, that will give Omiya some hope of avoiding the drop. And I, I just wonder, um, and I can never say this when, when, when James is on, so I'll say it now, um, wonder if Kanazawa do have a panic button available and what happens if they press it, basically. Because I think if they were to lose this game against Omi, I mean, Omi are going to win at some point, I think, between now and the end of the season. It could come on Sunday. And where, where would that leave Kanazawa? So um, I'm not saying I want Omi to win. So our friends, good, there's, good, there's good people on both sides. But, um, you know, I just think it'd be interesting to have Kanazawa put in that position where the front office have tough choices to make. So, well, did, um, did you see, John, that they've put out the statement um, where, where they've apologised to the fans for the performance so far this season? That, that's been out, I think, yesterday. Yeah, you see, again, Omiya, you see, Omiya have got the drop on them there because I think Omiya's went out in about <laughs> <laughs> about March. So, so, yeah, it's just, we really are, you, you kind of imagine a whiteboard in Kanazawa's like boardroom where all of the options are crossed out. It's like, well, we've done. Apologise to fans online. Crossed out, you know. Brought in, brought back a, a you know well well regarded ex player. Crossed out. It's like, well, listen, what else can we do? It's like, it's like, well, other clubs change their manager sometimes. Get out, you know. So um, yeah, we, I'm just curious to see. Um, I'm not advocating changing the manager. I don't think that will do any good unless they have some you know a good person in mind to uh, to take over. I mean. Um, Yoshihiro Natsuka, you know, recently fired by Yamaguchi, he's turned up as a coach in the back room at Shonan, hasn't he, this week? Um, I believe well, that's so. usually the kind of way they go bring someone in ostensibly to help the coach but ends up a couple of weeks later taking over yeah that's right that's right yeah it's a cuckoo cuckoo in the nest sort of a <laughs> scenario we, 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 we'll see I I think that Kanazawa Omiya game is going to be very nervy which in some leagues would lead me to believe it's going to be very low scoring. But I think in J2, when the teams are nervous, it tends to lead to a lot of goals. Um, Nin- so as, 91 goals conceded between the two teams so far this season. Yeah, you get the feeling it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be an easy game for the goalkeepers is it that one. You tend not to think. We will see how it goes. But yeah, I think you can't you can't look beyond that one at the at the bottom. Uh, I don't think. And of course, if Tokushima can can spring any surprises on Machida, then. If Iwata win away at Iwaki, then the gap between the, the top two could be down to just three points, couldn't it? Which is pretty mm-hmm. unthinkable um, based on the last couple of games. Although Machida would have the game in hand, as you mentioned, so uh, perhaps that would be a bit of a false uh, a fal- false hope of a title race there. I don't know, but um, yeah, Johnny, as usual, plenty to uh, to keep an eye on in the uh, the, the J two weekend. Thanks for uh, thanks for running through the the latest in J1 and J2 with me and, uh, and looking ahead to the weekend games as well. It's much, much appreciated. Hopefully we can get together uh, sometime soon and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on J1 as well when it when it swings back into action uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
Thanks very much for having me on, John. And like you said, we might be reconvening in the J1 pod in a couple of weeks. And yeah, again, th thanks in advance to, to everyone who, who supports the pod and who will hopefully support me through the next the next three weeks of uh, of taking over from Ben. I've got some very big shoes to fill, but but it's nice talking to you, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, always a pleasure, Johnny. Yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, with that, uh, we will uh, we will take a lie down in a, in a darkened room, I think. And uh, yeah, please stay tuned, though. As usual, all of the uh, latest J3 news is coming up in a moment. Magic Mike Innes has that for you in a J Talk Short Corner. So thanks for listening and uh, enjoy your football. But uh, here comes Mike with J Talk Short Corner. J Talk Extra Time. Hello everyone and welcome to J Talk Short Corner, the mini pod that keeps you up to date with events in J3 of the J League. I'm your host Mike Innes and in this episode I'll be looking back on fixtures in round 19 of the J3 season, the midpoint of J3 2023, as well as previewing the round 20 matches coming up this weekend. Before I review the league games, just to jump back to last Wednesday, the 19th of July, when Katare Toyama concluded their Emperor's Cup third round tie against Albirex Niigata. The fixture had commenced the previous week, when following interruptions due to thunderstorms, it was eventually abandoned with 15 minutes of extra time to play, the score standing at Toyama 2, Niigata 3. This meant the session on the 19th comprised only the second half of extra time. In the original game, Albirex had gone ahead in the 20th minute, but Katane's Daichi Matsuoka scored twice in the second half to put the J3 side in front. First, a 25-yard fizzer with his left foot, then a neat finish following a team move. Niigata equalised soon afterwards and with the score standing at 2-2 after 90 minutes, the game went to extra time. The J1 outfit took the lead within five minutes, but shortly afterwards the game was called off. The weather was somewhat kinder when the teams reconvened on Wednesday, but Albirex quickly added another to extend their lead, and although Daiki Yagishta pulled one back in stoppage time with a header from a corner, the tie ended Toyama 3-Niigata 4. J3 interest in the Emperor's Cup thus concludes for another year. On to the league, and there were eight games on Saturday the 22nd, and to begin with, we'll carry on with Toyama, who travelled to Nana Club. Katane were under pressure from dangerous front-pairing Hayato Asakawa and Shota Yomesaka early on, but the key period in the game was at the end of the first half, as Toyama's Yohei Ono was brought down just inside the box by Daisei Suzuki Ono, converting the spot kick. Then, three minutes later, Daiki Yagishita flicked Hiroyuki Tsubokawa's short corner in at the near post to make it 2-0. The home side were given a lifeline ten minutes after the restart when Yagishita was, some would say unluckily, shown a second yellow card for a brush with Megumu Nishida, 
but although Nara then moved on to the front foot, they couldn't make the extra man pay until the 81st minute. Yuta Tsunami launching a high ball into the box, Tatsuma Sakai heading it back across goal, and Ryota Kuajima hammering in a volley from 10 yards. Final score though, Nana 1, Toyama 2, Julian Marin Bazalo's team now 8th, reach the halfway point of their first J3 season at a crossroads. Can they push on or will they slip further into inconsistency? For Katare, after the unwelcome additional obligation of the cup tie, an excellent result. Michiharu Otagiri's side are second. Azul Claro Numazu's recent outstanding form had taken them up to fourth in the table, but they suffered their first loss in seven at Tegavajaro Miyazaki. The deciding moment came in the 18th minute. Miyazaki left back Ryota Kitamura hurtling down the wing on the overlap and crossing for the unmarked Harumi Minamino, whose scuffed shot still had enough on it to get past Hiromu Musha. In the second half, Azul Claro pushed forward in search of an equaliser, but Tegavajaro's rookie keeper Kokoro Aoki put in an assured performance, the nearest thing to a Numazu goal being Kyota Mochi's dipping volley that struck the crossbar. Final score Miyazaki 1, Numazu 0. A ground out win by Hiroshi Matsuda's team sees them move back up to 12th. Azul Claro had most things but the finishing touch, and despite the loss, they stay fourth. Moving back into something approaching contention are Matsumoto Yamaga, comfortable home winners over Vanrare Hachinohe. The visitors tried and failed to play out from the back in the 19th minute, their defence then being sucked in by a run from Yusuke Kikui, leaving Yutataki free to receive the pass and steer it inside the far post for 1-0. It was almost 2-0 twice in quick succession just after the half hour, as first Akira Andos perfectly struck 25-yard shot, cannoned off the post and went out for a throw-in, and then Kunitomo Suzuki's dinked effort was hooked off the line by Kodai Minoda. Vanarade offered little going forward, but remained in the match as long as it remained 1-0, which it still did when Kikui's close-range chip hit the bar in the 59th minute. The second goal finally arrived for Yamaga 12 minutes from time. Kikui setting up a counter-attack woefully defended by Daisuke Inazumi and Naoyuki Yamada. Suzuki finishing it off with a low-angled shot from 10 yards. And soon afterwards, a clearance by Masato Tokida turned into a defence-splitting pass, flicked on by Suzuki, finished from just outside the box by veteran Kazuma Watanabe for his first goal in a green shirt. Final score, Matsumoto 3, Hachinohe 0. One of those confident performances that Yamaga are capable of producing, even as, in this case, without top scorer Ren Komatsu. They head back up to 6th. Vanderade not at the races today, and they drop two places to 10th. Elsewhere on Saturday, it was draw central, including the big game in the lower reaches of the table between Fukushima United and Giramans Kitakyushu. 
Having had the better of things in the first half, Fukushima, in the 40th minute, managed to register their first home goal of the season. A well-worked move down the right, ending in Kota Mori's through ball, setting up Hiroto Yukie for an angled finish. The stadium announcer was, at last, able to dust off his loud goal celebration. Going one down meant Giramance had to show more attacking intent, which they did in the last 15 minutes or so of the game, and the away side drew level when Takeaki Homura's high ball into the box eluded Satoru Nozue, enabling Ryusei Nose to set up the unmarked Taiga Maekawa, whose shot nicked off defender Toru Shibata and in. Final score, Fukushima 1, Kitakyushu 1. A missed opportunity perhaps for the home side, but following his midweek appointment as coach through to the end of the season, Mitsumasa Yoda has at least delivered four points from two games, not to mention that crucial first home goal. Ginevance may not be easy on the eye, but they're also much less easy to beat than was the case earlier in the year. The two teams are 18th and 19th, respectively. And bottom side SC Sagami Hana followed up last week's win over Nana with a goalless draw at home to FC Imabari. Both sides fielded recent signings, which for Sagami Hana meant keeper John Higashi from Nagoya Grampus going straight into the starting lineup, while Yuji Senema from Tochigi and Yuzo Iwakami from Gunma were brought on at half time. Imabari, meanwhile, featured up front returning starlet. Kanta Chiba loaned from parent club Shimizu Espulse after a fruitless spell at Tokushima Vortis. It was the hosts who came closest to breaking the deadlock. Taira Maeda's 35-yard free kick, bringing a diving save out of Genta Ito, and from the resulting corner, Takumu Fujinuma having a scrambled shot cleared off the line by Ryota Ichihara. Despite the lack of goals, it was decent entertainment for a crowd of more than 4,500, Sagami Hara's best home attendance in nearly four years. Final score, Sagami Hara nil, Imabari nil. A solid debut in goal for Higashi, while the experienced Senuma looks as if he may add focus to the Green and Black's attack. They stay 20th and last for the time being, but it looks like there's some cause for optimism for Kazuyuki Toda. Niki Takagi's side, meanwhile, have the potential, but don't perform at their best often enough to get themselves properly involved in the promotion race. Three straight draws now for Imabari, who stay fifth. We did get some goals at FC Ryukyu against YSCC Yokohama, where the home side took the lead with barely a minute on the clock in fine style. A delicious team move opening up the right-hand side of the YSCC defence. Mu Kanazaki's beautiful pass setting up Haruto Shirai to open the scoring. It was an advantage that lasted only seven minutes as Kanazaki this time lost possession to Minoru Hanafusa. His through ball fared Yusei Kayanuma, who escaped a static home defence and finished past Junto Taguchi. 
From there, Ryukyu might have had more chances, but it was the visitors who went ahead on 26 minutes. Carlos Arroyo out sprinting Yuri Mori and centering for Kayanuma, who set up Yutaro Yanagi to fire in a low drive from 15 yards. 2-1 it stood to YSCC at half-time, but the home side equalised in spectacular fashion nine minutes into the second period. Katsuya Nakano intercepting a loose ball out from the back and from only a couple of yards inside the visitors' half, sending an audacious shot arcing over keeper Jun Kodama and into the net. A perfect combination of opportunism, strength and technique. Kodama remained the busier of the keepers, but there were no further goals. Fauna scored UQ2, YSCC2. A couple of excellent goals from Tetsuhiro Kina's team, which may be a confidence boost for them, as they'll have to do without the injured Takuma Abe for the next few weeks, alongside Kelvin and Sule. UQ slip one place to 14th. YSCC are two points further back in 17th, now without a win in six. FC Gifu dropped two points via a home draw with AC Nagano Pasahiro. The main action in the first half came a couple of minutes before the break when Nagano's Hiroki Yamamoto hit the post with an overhead kick. But subsequently, it was Gifu who had the better of things. Yosuke Kashiwagi hitting the outside of the post with a header and Pasahiro keeper Taro Hamada producing some excellent saves. In particular, a superb double stop from Korsuke Fujioka. It was, however, a blunder from Hamada which gave the home side the lead with nine minutes to go, dithering with the ball at his feet, allowing Fujioka to steal possession and Ryo Kubota to poke it over the line. The home fans must have thought their team was heading for a win, but in the 89th minute, Nagano substitute Yuki Morikawa raced down the left and sent in a cross. Rei Kihara swung at it and missed his shot, but the loose ball came through to Naoki Sanda, who made no mistake from eight yards out. Final score, Gifu 1, Nagano 1. Another instance of Yusaku Ueno's Gifu not getting the result their play necessarily deserved, although neither did they have the focus to manage the game out. They stay ninth. An away draw is a good result under the circumstances for Paseiro. They're 15th, haven't won a game since round 10 when they beat Matsumoto to go top of the table. Unusual thing to say about a J3 game, but it was the goalkeepers who came out on top at Gainane Tottori against Iwate Guruja Morioka. For the visitors, Kenta Tanno's finest moment was when he dived full length to keep out a powerfully struck shot by Kentaro Shigematsu. Gainare's Koshiro Itohara impressed throughout, but came into his own to make a brilliant point-blank stop from Kentaro Kai's header. Gruja finished the stronger of the sides, Douglas Oliveira hitting the outside of the post with a scrambled shot following a corner. Final score though, Totori nil, Iwate nil. Gainare continue their process of stabilisation under caretaker coach Kohei Masamoto, although they drop a place to 13th. Gruja continue to lack a cutting edge, but they remain 11th. Then on Sunday the 23rd, 
The game of the round was at Shinanami Stadium, where third-placed Kagoshima United took on leaders Ehime FC. Naoto Otake's Kagoshima knew that a win would keep them within two points of the top, and they began well, taking the lead in only the eighth minute, when Eisuke Watanabe swung over across from the right. Ehime keeper Shugo Tsuji came for it, but changed his mind, leaving Mikuto Fukuda space to finish at the far post. The visitors were barely in the game as an attacking force, but nevertheless pulled level 20 minutes later when Yutaka Soneda was hauled down in the area by Atsuki Satsukawa and Shunpei Shukahori blasted home the penalty. Kagoshima remained the team more likely to, but in the 64th minute, it was the mighty Mikans who seized the advantage. Shuma Mihara feeding a pass to Takami Sasaki, who wasn't closed down by the home defence, and as he moved into the box, his shot flicked off Kenta Hirose and in. A shorter Suzuki header, well saved by Tsuji, was the best chance the hosts had of rescuing something from the game. Final score though, Kagoshima 1, Ehime 2. Defeats in consecutive weeks against opponents in the top four, raising questions about Kagoshima's ability to remain in it for the long haul. They're third, but suddenly are five points behind second-placed Toyama. For Kiyotaka Ishimaru's Ehime, they repeat their trick of being second best, but still winning the game. And 16 points from the last 18 sees them firmly on top of the table. And finally this week, FC Osaka against Kamatamari Sanuki. A frustrating experience for both teams on a bumpy pitch at Hanazono. Ryo Shigaki's Osaka were in the ascendancy up to the moment a couple of minutes before half-time when their defender Shunsuke Tachino headbutted Soshi Iwagishi in the face as they both went up for an aerial ball. A second yellow card for Tachino and he was off, making a small piece of history as the first Osaka player to be red-carded in the J-League. Kamatamari having the man advantage for the whole of the second half, they gradually took control of possession. Takumi Narasaka having a header cleared off the line by Takumi Shimada. Gentaro Yoshida's shot forcing a good save from Tatsunari Nagai. Substitute Shota Kawanish putting the rebound over the bar. Final score though, Osaka nil, Sanuki nil. Seven clean sheets in the last eight games for Osaka, and you can see the success of their focus. They remain seventh. Kamatamari continue to improve, but had the opportunity to defeat tough opposition. They're still 16th. So now to run through the top and bottom of the league standings after round 19. The top six are Ehime with 38 points, Toyama with 36, Kagoshima 31, Numazu 30, Imabari 29 and Matsumoto 28. At the other end of the table, the bottom six are Nagano and Sanuki with 23 points, YSCC with 22, Fukushima 19, Kitakyushu 16, and bottom of the table with 14, Sagamihara. 
Just time now for a quick look ahead to the round of 20 fixtures this weekend when there are eight games on Saturday the 29th. Leaders Ehime are at home to Matsumoto. And it's third against second, Kagoshima against Toyama. Can Imabari reliably pick up points at home to Miyazaki? The two J-League newcomers both head north. Osaka to Hachinohe, Nana to Iwate. Some fascinating games lower down the table too. Nagano at home to Sagamihara. Sanaki hosting Fukushima. And Kitakyushu taking on Totori. Then on Sunday the 30th, fourth-placed Numazu are at home to Ryukyu. And finally, YSCC meet GIF. With all the week's business seen to then, that's it for this mini-pod. All that remains is for me to say, thanks for listening, enjoy your football, and see you next time. Bye for now.